Come on, bro. Dance off. Me and you. Let's do this. We did this gig last week. Yeah, we did, and I still want my dance off. This. Come on, no. Ryan. Give me. All no. right. It's not happening. Killjoy. <laughs> All right. Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Ryan, and you and I have waited six years for this Guardians of the Galaxy sequel. Was it worth the hype, or about as good as the rest of Phase 4, which is to say bad? Full spoilers for the movie ahead. <laughs> so, from this extreme oh long shot, <laughs> we zoom into our medium shot. Uh, how excited were you for Guardians 3? I was pretty excited about this because uh, whether or not you loved or hated Phase 4, James Gunn has always been consistently pretty good, especially with the Guardians characters, and you can even argue a good portion of Infinity War was uh, was given help from James Gunn, because uh -huh. I believe the Russo brothers went to each director of the respected like solo people and asked them, hey, how do you think they would act in this scene or helped out, so... I, I will say they contributed to Infinity War and Endgame quite a bit. And, you know, this is the this is the final outing of James Gunn in the MCU before he moves over to DC. And he's not going to... He's going to go out with a bang. And uh, that's what I was hoping for. So I was pretty hyped. This was my last best hope for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. That's... As much as my hype level was going into this, Phase 4 basically broke me as a fan. It took my... I'm not going to go up to when Phase 4 started, but I've been a fan of Marvel since day one for 15 years now, and I've never been this close to just being out entirely. Like, I probably wouldn't even watch the movies anymore if it wasn't for the fact that I review movies as a main hobby. But Guardians is consistently one of my favorite franchises within the MCU for ever since it started. I never thought that this property that I'd never even heard of at the time could be one of my favorites. And it just so happens that the Guardians movies hold up pretty well compared to the rest of the MCU. And I also knew this movie was written before Phase 4, or it was supposed to come out during Phase 4. So I figured and hoped that it wouldn't be bogged down by the multiverse BS or trying to tie in anything else that was going on. I went into this hoping for just a good, solid conclusion to James Gunn's Guardians trilogy. And, well, did I get that? We will see. Let's, uh, let's go into our <laughs> close-up. For the record, Ryan just got out of a screening of this movie as of the time oh, yeah. we were recording, and uh, I haven't even heard any of his thoughts yet, so we, we haven't... It's very fresh in me brain. We have not compared notes at all until this moment, so... Mm -hmm. First thoughts, yay or nay? I hope we're on the oh, same Oh, it's a page. yay. Yay. It's, Two thumbs up for me. Yeah, it's absolutely a yay. Yeah, it's a very good movie, especially with Rocket's backstory, where it's just, it's probably some of the best cgi i've ever seen on animal creatures done yes. really well and it's not yes. it's not completely distracting unless you count the walrus on two tires teeth but other than that yeah teeth and uh but it's just a really well emotionally driven story um i'm talking about rocket's arc here and it goes to show and it's um 
it helps elevate the threat level of the villain in this movie. Yes. Where we personalize with Rocket and how his creation is ultimately because of this, um, what the fuck's his name? High evolutionary. High yeah, evolutionary. Something. The reason he exists is because of him. And, but also the reason he has all this trauma and all this trust issues is because of him. And it just goes, uh, it just goes to show what good writing can do to really elevate your, your villains in this movie. Cause I see this guy more as a threat than Kane was in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Not to say that yeah. that villain was written terribly. But uh, it, it's just a more grounded story, or more grounded and more personal story for Rocket with the high evolutionary. evolutionary. And I don't remember who who the actor is right now, but he knocked out of the park. He's you can really see him put on this face of this sophisticated, high intellectual man, but deep down there's this really just insecure person that. Nope, he cannot be wrong, or he cannot take someone being smarter than him, or having a different opinion than him, and he'll just absolutely lose it. And I love that. I love the character design. I love the makeup with his face being wrapped over a helmet. I just thought it was really, really well done. I thought the CGI was really good in this movie, top to bottom. Um, thought the humor was pretty good. I have like small gripes, but not nothing like huge to make me put this movie like make it lose points but i thought it was a really good movie the first one i walked out of and i was like thank god finally like a good just marvel movie uh objectively and subjectively good i just looked up the name of the actor who played high evolutionary uh sorry if i butcher it um chakwudi uji hmm is the high evolutionary and uh I forgot to mention up top, I think, but full spoilers ahead for this film in this discussion, by the way, uh, just before I get into it. I think what made the High Evolutionary better than a lot of Marvel villains is that he actually feels objectively villainous. There's no... Yes. Deep, there's not... I mean, yeah, there's a deeper side to him, but there's no... He's not really redeemable. He's not... Somebody who's just a good person who took a wrong path. He's not some tragic anti-hero. He's just a straight-up sadistic person. And and I think he'll tug at the heart of any animal lovers who watch this movie to be like, how could somebody do that to animals? They'll see this guy as the most evil villain the MCU ever created, worse than anybody, really. like I think mm-hmm. I think the fact that he tortures animals as his whole shtick is just... Like, okay, you're the most evil. You win. Um, and I think that gets us, it sides us against him immediately. Seeing, I think what got me was, um, which one was it? Uh, Floor. What he did to the rabbit. Floor? Yeah. The rabbit that, yeah. he, that he, like, muzzled and put the uh, spider Pretty legs on. Pretty messed up way to mess up a bunny. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one was the most messed up, but they were all pretty bad. Uh, Lila, Floor, Teeds, Rocket, and all the other ones. Those experiments were 
honestly kind of hard to watch. Even though it's CGI creatures, the, the emotion in those scenes was really powerful, seeing them cry and mm-hmm. take comfort in each other just to survive every day and have this hope of we're going to get to go to the new world that he's making only for it to all be a lie. It's a very powerful story. And we always knew Rocket had a tragic backstory, but I think this movie handled it extremely well. It's, Mm -hmm. once again, going back to how Marvel usually does things, this movie takes itself pretty seriously. Basically, every other Marvel movie I've seen in the last five years, at least, would have undercut this story somehow by turning way too far into humor or not letting the bad guy actually be villainous enough to make you feel him as a threat. But this is like, no, this guy did some really messed up stuff. Rocket has some really real traumas that they don't shy away from. And it's about him finding some peace and, um, I don't want to say redemption, but just more, I'd say more inner redemption. He has to prove Acceptance. to himself. He has to prove to himself that he wasn't a mistake and that he deserves to exist and thrive in the world. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, and once again, it's not taken. It's taken very seriously. Like Rocket's a funny character. Sure, he has a lot of he has a lot of jokes, and that's and that's fine. But when the movie is going for emotion, it's actually trying, and it succeeds in what it's trying to do. Because James Gunn is personally the master at threading that tonal balance in a way that I don't see many directors do. He's fantastic at comedy. He's fantastic at understanding characters as well and uh the other part i was thinking about for emotional resonance was peter quill at the end there i was just telling justin this earlier this morning about how if any director took over guardians 3 just even with this same script if like they just popped into guardians right now how many directors do you think would have given a shit enough about their characters to question what happened to peter quill's grandfather or whether Quill should right. even see him again. That's like first mm-hmm. scene, first movie. Maybe nobody's even thought about that the last nine. I don't years even think the Guardians. audience. Yeah, I don't even think the audience gives a shit. Well, I'll tell you, I or did. at the time. I, like I, it's not a prime thought in my mind, but I have always wondered what happened to him. Would Peter ever go back and see him? Is he still alive? I wondered that the last nine years, and it always made me sad, wondering why Peter never went back or never stayed when he was back there for Infinity War and Endgame and it, when he came back. Like, okay, well, are you, are you going to see your grandfather? And I just think most directors, having been handed Guardians of the Galaxy at this point, would have just neglected that entirely. But that's one of the most emotional scenes of the movie to me. I nearly cried when I saw him finally meet his grandfather again and say hi, Grandpa, mm-hmm. and give him a hug. And The post credit scene. Is it also. the same actor? Yes. Yeah. I assumed it would be. I mean, it's they Marvel, just, so they just made him look way older. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a that's a really emotionally resonant scene for Peter as well. Everybody gets a moment to shine, really. Mm-hmm. Um, like even Mantis, who's usually more upbeat. One of my favorite moments in the movie is when she really lays into Nebula for being a Debbie Downer, and and hating on Drax so much. And she, and I, I like how yeah. she described it. She's like, I, I like Drax because he's the only one of you who doesn't hate himself. 
Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Drax is a simpleton, but he's more kind-hearted. And his simpleness is what makes him endearing. He's pretty dumb, but that's also okay. Because he's a good guy, and he's he's not trying to be anything he's not. And, um, yeah, it, it gave more insight into Mantis as well. She kind of let down her happy-go-lucky exterior for a second and was like, okay, mm-hmm. l- look, this is, this is how I really feel. And then I'll go back to happy Mantis. Forget. Yeah. This movie made me start to like Mantis more as a character. Uh, just yeah. because I feel like in Guardians 2, she was more, she was very quippy. She was more like quippy than yeah. in terms of like, I don't know, being like an actual character. And then, I mean, you could even argue in the holiday special, but here she's just has, she has her own even like small character arc too with, again, with Nebula and with Drax and even with Quill a little bit, but uh, not too much, but she becomes where in Guardians 2, you could argue where she was kind of a shoe-in to put into the team where you can see how many years have passed since Endgame, she's definitely part of the team. She's part of this group. Yes. And you can feel that just, and that just goes to show the amazing chemistry that this entire cast has with each other and how they're able to feed off each other and how they're able to work, uh, work with each other's emotions and play off each other. And it just flows beautifully. I just, yeah. I mean, who, I mean, I think it's the same person who casted the Marvel universe the past 10 years. I think it's Sarah Haley Finn or, Haley, Sarah, whatever, one of one of those. <laughs> it's, I always see her name pop up in the opening credits. So it's it's cast wonderfully, and then they're all acted uh, amazing. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Let's let's start getting into maybe um my first note here um is that I made in the theater just from the very beginning. It was interesting to have such a somber beginning to the movie. It kind of mm-hmm. started on a downer with Rocket just wandering through nowhere, listening baby to Rocket. sad music. Yeah, oh, right, not, right, not right, Baby right. Rocket. Yeah. Just well, yeah, the first scene was Baby Rocket getting captured by the High Evolutionary, but the rest was just kind of him wandering through nowhere. Peter Quill's mm-hmm. drinking his sorrows away at the bar. They have to. Nebula has to lift them out. That was a great title card sequence when they're lifting a drunk Quill out in the in the nowhere. And yeah. It's, it's just kind of depressing, and you're like, oh, okay, that's still a... But it's a cool team shot. Uh, and then Adam Warlock comes in and destroys everything. That was a brutal fight. Yeah, very brutal. He, like, he destroyed Nebula, snapped Mantis's arm, beheaded Groot, nearly killed Rocket, shot Drax. I don't think he did anything to Quill because Quill was just drunk and Quill hurting him. Quill was drunk, yeah. Well, yeah. Quill came in and shot him a bunch, and then... I can't remember. I think the Nebula, like, stat... I don't even remember. I know he comes in at the end, but he didn't really touch Quill. Because I think if he did, he'd just be dead instantly. I don't think he touched Kraglin either. There was just that moment of, who? Who threw this at me? That was very rude. Yeah. That was funny. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to have Adam Warlock in, but this is, like, one of my few gripes with the movie. I don't know why he's in this movie. Because I he just was think in the... because maybe the I know just because like he was in the post credit scene in Guardians two, 
but he was really hyped up in the marketing for this, like Adam Warlock, and he's a huge character in the comic books. Yeah, I was going to say kind he's... of a footnote. Yeah, like when you watch the movie. What I was going to say was in the comic books, as far as I know, for Guardians, the two main characters are Star Lord and Adam Warlock. Really, he's just as yeah. big a part of the Guardians comics. So of course he was hyped up by Guardians fans going in, and I. I think my expectations were set pretty low from him because I read a couple reviews going in. So I came out liking him more than I expected, really. I think Will Poulter did a really good job. He mm-hmm. His comedy landed. I like his stoicism. I like how he kind of became a good guy because he felt bad for the one little pet. Um, yeah. And took pity on it and started to change his ways when people showed him mercy and actually started treating him as maybe a person capable of his own thought rather than just a, just a um, machine or tool Mm -hmm. to be used at the whim of some higher power. Just because the high evolutionary created him doesn't mean he should be at his whim for his entire life. Uh, Although I did like that one throwaway line where he said he just, created the Sovereign as an aesthetic experiment Mm -hmm. on his quest to create the perfect being, which is very interesting. I like that the High Evolutionaries, it was a cool line when they said he's God in some corners of the universe because of how many Mm -hmm. actual civilizations he's created. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think think Will Poulter did an amazing job. I just kind of walked out of it wanting more from Adam Warlock. And I know it's not his movie, but just yeah. for, like how hyped up he was, I thought he would probably have more than just one major fight and then get knocked out three different times throughout this whole movie. Right. But also right. not to not to like not to give too much of a I mean the reason he was knocked out a bunch is because he was dealing with an exploding planet. So I can forgive him for that. But I well, thought Will Poulter did an amazing job and I'm su- and I'm excited to see him further on in the MCU. Yeah, do you think the they're going to carry through this Guardians team? Not with James Gunn obviously, no. but are they are they going to No. I don't think so. And if they do, they're going to bring back the original team. Mm. Or they're going to bring back most people from the original. Team. I don't think there'll be a Guardians 4. Because well, we you don't have think... take over. Who wants to take over that? But I know they're going to show up in like Avengers Secret War or Avengers. Yeah, I was, I was going to say show up again. Is it going to be this team? Not, I don't if think there's Gar- going to be a. If the Guardians show up in Avengers again, is it going to be this iteration of the team? Probably. Yeah. Probably that, and then also Peter Quill will show up. See, I, that Pratt. was one of the that was one of the most shocking moments of the movie to me was. The legendary Star Lord will all, return. They all like, just what? quit. I was like, "What? <laughs> what do you? Star Lord will return? That's shocking, actually. I did not see that coming." Yeah, because well, I knew there was new because this um, Dave Bautista said this was his last film, his yes. last MCU movie, yes. until Marvel comes and pays him a buttload of money for the Avengers movie. But I don't remember hearing anything about Chris Pratt about this being his last film too. So that was a little shocking where I was like, oh, he's, I guess he's quitting and then he's moving on. But then it says, oh, Star Lord will return. Oh, interesting. Probably in the Avengers movie that will come out in 2027. 
Hmm. So Star-Lord's doing a Thor right now. He's going on a spirit quest away from the team, doing his own thing. I think, yeah, he's probably just reconnecting with his family. He'll probably learn how to drive a car. <laughs> that was... I mean, he'll he I think that was on the, it pretty quickly. I need to pivot there, because that joke was maybe the one that got the biggest laugh in the whole theater. I think this may be the MCU's first F-bomb. It is. And it was yep. well... That was well used. Okay, mm-hmm. well, so what do I do now? I think, you're, I think your hand's on the, on the lock. Okay. What do I do? Okay, move, move it down. All right, now what do I do? Open the fucking door! It's pretty good. Yeah, it's a good one. I just hated how, like, I kept seeing clips of them hyping up this F-bomb joke uh, in the media. No, whenever, I had no, I had no expectations. Yeah, whenever Chris Pratt went on to, like, a talk show, Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel kept bringing it up. It's just like, so this is the Marvel's first ever F-bomb, and you're the one who does it. He's like, yeah, yeah. Not for a lack of trying. Like, we've been trying to do it for years. Mm. So, well, that's yeah. too bad people were bringing it up. I hadn't really heard about it going in, so that, to me, that was just shocking and funny. Because I didn't see that coming. Yeah, no, it Marvel. was a good joke. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what were some, what were some other good gags? Uh, one of my other favorite ones was uh, Nathan Fillion, who kept bringing up his dumb friend. Yeah, that was a, that was. And his friend's not even like that dumb. He just like asked one question, but he's just so fed up with him. You're so dumb. Oh, I got a That's friend really like funny. that too. I got really excited when I saw him. I was like, oh, Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Wow. I think in general the comedy in this one is um it's pretty solid. There were a couple moments that made me not a whole lot that made me laugh out loud, but I was grinning for most of the movie. It was pretty. It's just it's just fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if your theater or you had that as well. Like, were you laughing out loud this whole time or was it just more of a... Not the whole time, but the big joke's pretty good. Uh, Weirdly quiet for a Friday night movie. Weirdly quiet for just, like, Marvel fans in general. Because there's definitely times in this... In the movie where they pause because you think you're going to applause, right? There wasn't one, like, woo! There wasn't one, like, clap, whatever. It was just weirdly quiet. But when there was comedy, people laughed. Hmm. Yeah, my showing was pretty busy for it a It was Thursday also night. hot. It was also hot as fuck. And it's just getting warmer in Toronto. And I don't know if it's because they didn't turn the AC on, but I was sweating. And I wasn't even... I, all I wore was like a hoodie and like sweatpants. But you could tell there was no airflow in there. So if that's, it sounds like I'm tired and depressed, that's why. Because you spent <laughs> two and a half hours in a hot box? Yeah, it was ridiculous, man. Yeah. That happens a lot in theaters, though. Like, if you ever go downtown and you're in... This is random, but the Prince of Wales theaters, they've done the Harry Potter show in there, they've done Wicked, they've done... They do all, like, the big musical productions in there. There's, like, no airflow in that building. But that's because it's an old-as-fuck building. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's true, I suppose. Uh, I thought one clever thing they did in this was... If you haven't seen Infinity War and Endgame, I think they did a decent exposition dump to explain what happens. Yeah, for the three people who haven't seen it. Yeah. (laughs) I just mean, if you're going and watching just the Guardians movies, because let's face it, there's a lot of crap in between that, why would you want to bother with that? If you just want to see Guardians 1, 2, and 3, 
Infinity War and Endgame kind of screw up their story by having so much happen to them in those movies. Those are the ones that, like, they finally face down Thanos, they kill Gamora. Uh, those are the main two things. But, um... I mean, I think that's the problem, though, when you're trying to look at this as a trilogy, because technically it's not. Like, it's Volume 1, 2, and then there's Infinity War and Endgame, and then there's Volume 3. Like, to think of this as a trilogy would be thinking of it be just be wrong. Like, I know there's three movies, they're all done by James Gunn, but there's so much that happens with the with these characters in the major movies that... If you just went from two to three, you'll be super confused. And I kind of blame people who do that. <laughs> I don't blame the studio for doing that because I don't really see if this was a different franchise. Yeah, I'd say it's a it was a, it'd be a trilogy. But since it's tied to Marvel and this giant cinematic universe, I can't really say that's a trilogy. Just like I can't say how the Captain America movies are a trilogy or even the Iron Man ones, because between Iron Man two and three Avengers happened and there was a whole plot line with. Robert Downey Jr., um, Tony Stark, having PTSD. PTSD about the bomb. Yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's my two cents. <laughs> I'm going to circle back to that towards the end because I have a bit of a thing about that point in my conclusion, but that's, that's way later. Uh, right. My point was that I think they had a decent exposition dump scene in here for if you haven't seen... Infinity War and Endgame, if you're just watching Guardians 1, 2, and 3, that elevator scene was pretty funny. A good way to describe where Quill's just rattling off everything that happened in Infinity War and Endgame. To, right, right. To that, to that one lady to explain why he and Gamora don't get along anymore. Mm-hmm. And he's just so pissy about it. And, and Gamora and Nebula are just awkwardly standing there having to hear the whole thing. I also like how he, he admits that like when he punched Thanos, he messed up. Like he acknowledges well, that. I saw that immediately as James Gunn apologizing on behalf of star Lord to the whole fan base. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't think James Gunn was happy with how they handled star Lord in that moment. I think he's been on record as saying that. So that was just his way of being like, yeah, yeah, I, sorry. Yeah, if you do think about it, it is, it is kind of not character assassination, but it is brain the characters. But you can also say that Starlord is a bit of an emotional character. I will defend that a little bit. Well, I, mean, I don't see. Look I what happened. Look what happened in Guardians. Look what happened in Guardians Two, right? Where Ego is like, I put that tumor in her head. He just yeah. full blown before he starts, starts talking, just up. Yeah. puts like fifty holes in him. So he's always been a bit of an emotional character. It just sucks that they were about to get the glove. And in that moment, he, he had, had to, to lose it. He had to, be, he had to be mad. Yeah. It's just bad yeah. timing. Yeah. But for the character to be, uh, to admit like, yeah, I fucked up, kind of saves it for me a little bit. I mean, you got to think about the context, right? Because I feel like ever since Infinity War, whenever the name Star-Lord gets brought up in online discussion, somebody is going to say, yeah, but he screwed the whole universe. Mm-hmm. So much for yeah. being a guardian of the galaxy. He's the reason Thanos won. Every conversation about Star-Lord for the last five years has been about that. So they had mm-hmm. to acknowledge it, I feel like. I mean, when James Gunn wrote... I think that's was... where the hate of, like, the, like, the, uh, the growing amount of just hate of Star-Lord and Chris Pratt himself just grew from. 
irrational. I don't know why. Just so irrational, so yeah. stupid. And like That's everybody wild. who knows Chris Pratt personally seems to defend him. They're like, I don't get where this is coming from. He seems like a decent guy to work with. Seems like a, you know, mm-hmm. all around good human being on the whole. Um, I mean, there's that whole business where he, he goes to a church where he's from and they're very against, or they're just very heavily Christian based and they're very against, uh, just people who aren't straight. Let's just, <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to sum up that. The, L- the LGBTQ2 plus community. But yeah. he said, and he said like, he recognizes that he doesn't agree with their points, but he still goes there and people don't like that. But it's, it's a, it's a whole mess. Not even to talk about. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's his faith and his community. And, you know, you don't have to believe in, like, I live in the town of Newmarket, the country of Canada. I don't have to agree with everything people in Newmarket or Canada or Ontario think. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's just where I am. It's where I live. It's what I, you know, these are the people I know are in my community. If I, if I went to a church, it'd probably be the same thing. Do I believe in everything, everything? preach and sermon in this church maybe not but whatever it's just it's just where he goes don't judge if he's if he actively says something that you don't like fine that's on him he said it yeah that's different don't 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 judge what he does just because of who he affiliates with necessarily that's like sometimes where there's smoke there's fire but you know he hasn't done anything actively wrong as far as i've seen so Controversy is stupid yeah. and unwarranted. Um, but uh, I agree. Yeah, I think they handled Quill really well in this movie. Uh, it's like I was saying before. There's a. I love how they they didn't undercut any of the emotional moments, and of course there was. It's kind of inherently funny the way he presents it about not being over Gamora, and he's just mm-hmm. pestering her the entire movie. Like, yeah, you're not. The Gamora I knew, and, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you gave it another shot, maybe, and she's just rebuffing his advances the entire time. But also, you can tell Quill has matured a lot from the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. He's really grown into mm-hmm. his role as a, as a leader and as a human being and as a hero. And just seeing his character arc over the last nine years has been a treat. And I think Chris Pratt plays it with a gravitas that he's hasn't played it with before. You can you can just you can tell the difference over time, and I appreciate that. Star Lord's more mature. The writing for him in the Guardians in general is more mature. Once again, it can go to some juvenile places for sometimes, just for for comedy. But it's like the the tone right. here is written with a. Uh, with a, I don't want to say mature again, but it's, this is, it's kind of with a focus and an intention that I don't see much from Marvel nowadays. This is, James Gunn is a writer, director who knows what he wants from these characters and he's willing to take them there in the most emotionally satisfying way possible without skimping on entertainment Mm -hmm. value. He's not just trying to tell a vehicle for the next five years of Marvel storytelling. This doesn't set up phase five 
or explore the multiverse, or really tie into the greater MCU at all. It's just, it's a great send-off for the Guardians characters we've come to know and love for the last nine years. Everybody gets a great moment, and in a character arc, somehow they managed to balance a whole lot in this movie, and I think it mostly worked. And I came away loving these characters even more than I already did. It's just, it's just satisfying. It's a satisfying movie, and it's just really well handled on a technical level from a storytelling perspective in a way I haven't seen from Marvel in a long time. And if they were going to nail it for anyone, I was glad it was this one. That's what I'll say there. Right. I think the reason why this one is going to be more successful and a lot more um, just well thought of in general is because you can feel the attention and the care with the writing and the directing in this movie. Whereas some of the past Marvel movies, especially, not to say that the directors are bad or the writers are bad, but they were definitely just hired to just be name slots most of the time. Yeah. Where Marvel, they say they have this overbearing vision that they're going to set up the multiverse right now. And I will argue they still really haven't done that yet. But with this one, you just have a guy who has been with these guys since 2014, loves and cares for them deeply. And that's the real, that's the real difference. And when it comes to writing and making a movie where anybody can write and direct a movie, but nobody can write and direct a good movie or a well-crafted story. And I think James Gunn is probably one of the best writers out there in terms of superhero movies. And I cannot wait to see his DC uh, cinematic universe, which kind of, it's really, it's really funny for me that the most successful Marvel movie I'm just going to say it is probably Guardians Volume 3 after Endgame. Mm-hmm. Like, that's probably the next, it's going to be the most successful one. And that's the movie uh, that's James Gunn's last movie. So he's going to be really hot off the start. And then everybody's want to go, going to want to go see his next movie, which is Superman their competition. Mm, which I think is really, really funny. Yeah. And also the fact that he's jumping from Guardians, who he rose from obscurity uh, Mm -hmm. to become household names, to Superman, the biggest, best superhero of all time, and first. That's a massive leap Mm -hmm. right there. Um, I'm curious to see what he'll do with Superman Legacy, because most of his superhero movies have a very specific tone to them. They're a little bit more like adult insensibility. I think his humor is a bit more edgy. He he likes violence a little bit more. Um he, I mean, he's got the idealism and the optimism and the right tone, I think. Uh he has the chops to do a Superman movie. I just never seen him try something in a Superman tone before, so I think it'll be an interesting challenge for him as a creative to keep the James Gunn flavor but match it with Superman. Because I think the reason James Gunn gets away with what he does is because he picks characters nobody's got any emotional attachment to. I didn't have any expectations for a Guardians of the Galaxy movie in 2014. I don't think what he did was super reminiscent of Guardians comics. That's why they're not 
Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. To me, they're James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy. He did the same thing Mm -hmm. with his Suicide Squad movie a couple of years ago. I didn't really know most of the characters in that movie, except Harley Quinn and Amanda Waller, basically. But he put his own stamp on these characters such that that's the version I know. I know James Gunn's version better than the comics version, because he made them so memorable to me. Superman, however, is different because you're, you know, he's the most widely known superhero in the world with a lot of expectations built around him. So I'm, I'm curious to see how he handles somebody who the vast majority of people going in have expectations for. Like, how do, how do you put your stamp on a character everybody's got their own preconceived notions about? Whereas Guardians, True. this is just, these are, these are his babies. You know, this is a combination mm-hmm. of his heart and soul for the last nine years. And, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm sure people said the same thing about Zack Snyder and you can argue he did a very good job with Man of Steel. I think he did very good for what he had, but also Man of Steel is proof that people who Zack Snyder tried to take on Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman to very mixed results. Because what he did with them was mm-hmm. what he did with them was good, but also everyone's got their own idea of what these characters are. Nobody gave a shit when John Favreau adapted Iron Man in two thousand eight. Nobody cared enough about Iron Man to have a thought about what a good Iron Man movie should be. Or Guardians of the Galaxy, or even Captain America. People just thought that was gonna be a joke, or Thor. Most of the Marvel movies have the luxury of adapting characters nobody cares about. So I hear you. Except and that's But he's why, a talented director. Like so I'm yeah. I'm not I'm not worried at all. Oh we need I mean, it. James go back to movies. 2000 go back to 2006 or 2005 whenever Batman Begins was yeah it's like okay we're gonna get the guy who did the magician movie to do a Batman movie like the last Batman movie we had was Batman and Robin that was terrible so it's gonna be and Batman is our is probably the most popular superhero that there is yeah and what he made was a very very good trilogy especially with the Dark Knight which is regarded as the best comic book movie of all time so I hear I hear what you're saying, and I know it's because you have this deep love of Superman um, from the comics, and especially like a Christopher Reeves version. But hey, I admit I'm one of those people coming in with preconceived notions. That yeah, like he he's fighting against me just as much as anybody else, and I love the guy, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited to see what he does. But I, I have to I admit just think my you own have to bias remember, going in. Yeah, you just have to remember it's a different take, so it's not the definitive. This is the version of Superman for all of time. It's just going to be his take. And I think he's well researched a lot. Oh, yeah. Very much so. He's very good at doing that. So I think he's going to try to do a mix up of both of he'll have the Christopher Reeve, you know, style of it where it's this. I think he's going to go back to the happy go lucky Superman, but there's going to still going to be those little tone shifts. Yeah. You you can't do what you did with Zack Snyder again. To me, Zack Snyder, happy-go-lucky Superman is Superman. Zack Snyder was, you know, that was the Zack Snyder version of it just to be different for a while. And I, that's, that's my main problem with Man of Steel. It's not Man of Steel as a what-if story. It's that it was the bedrock for a whole universe. 
that the tone mm-hmm. like that's that's the wrong tone for a superman movie but it's cool for a one-off story that's like that's my main problem with Zack snyder's version is that it kept going but um yeah. well we're not here to talk about i hear what DC. you're saying sorry we're here i to- hear what you're saying but then then you hear that hans zimmer score and then you forget all those preconceived notions <laughs> oh it's a good movie don't get me wrong i'm just i'm a traditionalist i know what you're saying uh, yeah. if i have to take a pick for superman uh but yeah let's get back to the movie here we haven't talked about gamora much uh i love what they did with gamora in guardians 3 because it really subverted Mm -hmm. my expectations of i thought this was going to be another case of the multiverse basically just making death meaningless oh you brought back gamora from a from another timeline um yeah sure i guess she'll just get back together with quill be friends with the guardians i thought they were going to do the same too like nothing ever happened this is just Okay, she doesn't remember the last all the years they spent together, but nothing will change. Actually, no, everything is different. She's a ravager. She hates them, mm-hmm. basically. She still has that rivalry with Nebula. Nebula and her basically traded places. She's basically who Nebula was in the first Guardians. Right. And now Which is a little weird because from what I remember, she always did like kind of like Nebula, but that wasn't really explored until Guardians 2. Like, they were pretty much enemies in Guardians 1, but I felt she always had a soft spot for Nebula. And but she did I don't in know this one, that... too. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. That's why she wasn't... But like, she, she was seemed never... like too... Yeah. It was weird. It just seemed like she was always angry at Nebula. I didn't really see her have, like, a soft spot with Nebula in this movie. But also, it's a different timeline, different Gamora. She's been brought to this different, like, years ahead... She doesn't know, like most of the people she probably knows has died. Her dad's dead, which she wanted, like Thanos is dead, but yeah. not how she wanted to do it. So there's probably still some resentment there. And now she's got this guy, Star-Lord, who just keeps following him around, being like, hey, we were in love, so you should be in love with me. I'd yeah. be pretty, I'd be pretty now, mad too. Now, in terms of Nebula, I know she always kind of had a soft spot for her, but you got to remember before Gamora got redeemed and started to hate Thanos. This was also the woman who mercilessly beat Nebula over and over as children. And Nebula's the one who got her parts replaced every time. Gamora knew that, but she kept mm-hmm. beating her every time. So where was... She didn't have pity well, for her when they were kids. she's not going to want to get replaced, so... I'm just saying, they didn't, she didn't have that much pity for her when they were kids. She let Thanos do whatever he wanted to do to Nebula. And she was happy to be the favorite daughter. So I think she only started mm-hmm. feeling guilty about that more later when she became a good guy. She was like, oh, man, I was an awful sister. Oh, for sure. So this version of Gamora, I don't mind being as mean to Nebula because I'm like, well, I don't think this is the version of you that felt bad about everything yet. But um, right. <clears throat> yeah, I still like their dynamic because Nebula is the more chill one in this relationship now. Yeah. She's the one who's willing to let things roll off her shoulder. And just mm-hmm. kind of go with it. She's like, well, that's not my sister, really. I love how all the Guardians are basically like, yeah, yeah. Gamora, Gamora's dead. Like, she's out there, but she's dead to us because, mm-hmm. like, that's not our Gamora. It's not our Gamora. Yeah. And Quill just can't get over it. He's like, well, there's a Gamora out there, and she might still love there's me. No. No, man. You gotta, you gotta let it go. No. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, seeing Quill try to flirt with her was both 
funny and pathetic and sad. And it's so mm-hmm. mix of emotions there. I like that Seen one. Seen him joke. flirt with that the the desk lady. I thought was really funny though. Which time? Because like a part of me, a part of me thinks that like she actually was digging it at first, and then everybody yeah. else comes in like that's terrible. It's like, oh, you were being kind of douchey. He's like, no, I saw it was working. It was working. <laughs> it was totally working. It was working on. Yeah. I mean, it definitely like worked later on her too, in the when yeah. he, yeah, when he tricks her, and he just looks at Gamora's like, told you she was into me. <laughs> I like how he just walked in the thing and was like, I'm not an idiot. And then he shot yeah, off all the gravity. That. He's like, I'm not that stupid. <laughs> yeah, I like that they made Star-Lord not a joke. Once again, so many mm-hmm. other movies would, by this point would have made your lead guy. They would have. Like, flanderized him. Just made him to the ground. Yeah, just made him really stupid. Like, even Drax, I think, took a uh, pull back a little bit from him being a joke character in the last three movies he was in. Mm-hmm. Even he got a little bit more grounded again, had more serious moments again. So I, I appreciate that. They didn't just take the personalities and make them bigger and bolder. They kept them at a core of who they are still. Mm-hmm. Peter Quill kind of has a reputation as an idiot, but he's not. And I'm glad that, you know, they didn't do to him what they yeah. did to Scott Lang, basically. Which still pisses yeah. me off. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just what the problem with like the new male led Marvel movies of they're just trying to add like a little bit of idiotness and a little bit of Tony Starkness into them. Like you can tell and especially in Multiverse of Madness, they really try to make Stephen Strange like Tony Stark in terms of his humor. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just up the idiotness with Scott Lane, which I don't really understand because he was he's like one of the two people who was in the quantum realm. So he should know some stuff, but whatever. That movie's so dull. Once again, this is why I like Guardians 3, because it's not a Marvel movie. It's a James Gunn movie. And that Mm -hmm. that comes through in every way. This isn't a studio film. This is a product of a guy who gives a crap about what he's making. Uh, Let's see. What else do I have here? Uh, Cosmo the Space Dog. I thought that was a yep. funny. That was a funny gag. With I mean, it, like it didn't. If you're thinking about stuff that maybe should have been cut from this movie, the you know that joke didn't really add anything necessarily. But I thought it was a funny gag that he wouldn't let go. No, I think it's a good a joke bat, that he wouldn't let go. Of calling because the majority her a bad of people dog. are dog people. Yeah, I think the majority of people are dog people, and in my theater, the only time they ever reacted was when they when he called her a bad dog. There was like a few people that went, oh, it was just her reaction. And everyone was like, oh, like you can just tell Marvel. Marvel fans are dog people. <laughs> I think one of my favorite bits, though, is when they're all playing the poker game with Howard the Duck. And then he says it again just to piss mm-hmm. her off. Yeah. She wouldn't get over it. And everyone because at the table groans. a bad dog. Like he says it slower just to piss her off. And everyone I, at the table the voice groans? actress for Cosmo? Because it sounded like. Weirdly, it sounded like Florence Pugh as Yelena, but I know it's not her. Uh, I am but not th- sure, actually. Just... Yeah, I thought she did a pretty good job. My legs. I also liked how she wasn't just a random cameo. She was actually had an important job in the end. 
which I think kind of thematically fits because Rocket and all the and all the pets are like she's another kind of mutant pet animal. Right. So the fact that she's the one who saved all the animals is I I don't know exactly what that means yet, but well, I she know she saved it's, everybody. Yeah. She saved everybody. She was the one that held the two ships together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad Quill didn't go out there, because that would have been stupid that he died going back for the Walkman. The Zoom. The Zoom. Yeah. Whatever you call it. Well, the Walkman got destroyed, now it's a Zoom, remember? Right. Right. But yeah, that was kind of like, I know he's not about to... I knew he was like, oh, Quill's going... Like, that was the one thing I was like, this is so just basic where it's like quill's gonna have to fake get hurt so that adam warlock can prove himself to be a good guy and i see his fucking hand come on screen i was like yep told you <laughs> yeah true and then uh, what then i saw his face getting bigger i was like oh wait maybe he will die because that didn't happen in volume one but now i think what convinced me that he would be fine is that joke earlier in the movie when uh he's being all mopey and the man just is like are you gonna die it's like no mm-hmm. no i'm not 50 that's really funny they were talking about kind i feel like that's like a weird like that's like a dark humor joke with a lot of just famous people dying way too young true but it was also a funny conversation the, like well i like i he's probably 90 what's he's probably the point dead. of living i know <laughs> yeah well, how old do humans live? I don't know, 50? What? Why are you even born? What's the point? Yeah. So I funny. mean, it's true because he wouldn't even know. Yeah. But uh, Maria Bakalova is the voice of Cosmo, Cosmo? Space Dog. Nice. Yeah. Well, She's she did been a very in good job. Borat. Bodies, bodies, bodies. The Honeymoon. Huh. Anyway. Apparently she's been in all three Guardians movies. Really? Wait, sorry, hold on. Just Guardians 1 and the uh, holiday, holiday special. special. Hmm. What do you know? Yeah, well, uh, let's see. Let's the more see. you know. Uh, I love that the this movie has some pretty brutal consequences for its characters and just things in general. Mm-hmm. Once again, didn't really pull any punches. Um I mean, one example is uh, the Sovereign Queen got killed at a point. They built her up quite a bit, and they just killed her off while the other planet right. blew up. That, to me, that was the main thing, that they introduced this entire civilization, had a huge chunk of the second act set on Counter-Earth, and then just blew the whole place up. And I was like, oh, that's a massive failure for the Guardians. Yikes. That's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, and it's also just a cool just idea where... It's this guy's entire civilization that he's recreated, and his entire ship is kind of the core of this civilization, too. I just think yes. that's kind of a neat idea. And anytime he wants to, he can just hit the reset button, which is just goes to show how psychopathic this character is. I think it's a really good. And I don't know if it's he probably is dead, but I just it's not definitive enough for me to think that he is dead. The high evolutionary? Because I know they peeled up. Oh, but they did. Because he was stuck on the ship, and then the ship just boom, boom. 
But right. he could have, you know, they didn't kill he him. Could have gotten out of there. Right. Yeah, they didn't kill him. On purpose, Rocket was like, "I'm not. I'm a guardian of the galaxy." Showed him mercy. But we will leave you to die. Which is kind of funny to me because Quill straight up murdered somebody earlier. Yeah. Which it's really funny. I mean, it's one of my friends is like. It was like, Batman's not a murderer. Well, actually, in Batman Begins, if you leave someone to die, that's still killing them. <laughs> it's like, whatever. <laughs> I don't kill you. I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you. I have to save you. And Liam Neeson is just like, oh, okay. I accept my fate. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty cool death that uh, Quill got killed that one guy, though, when him and Groot are parachuting out of the, uh, out of yeah. the ship. Yeah. And then he just, just like drags, drags him, him across the ground as a uh, as a cushion. That could have been. I feel like that was censored a little bit because that should have been way bloodier than it freaking was, man. Probably. I, yeah, yeah, I bet there was I, another. That probably of that. got censored. Mm-hmm. That whole sequence reminded me of what you said the other week about Guardians of the Galaxy just being a D and D campaign, because that is a hundred percent something like something like that would happen. You split the party. The one party goes to face the main bad guy. The other one mm-hmm. should stay at the ship, but they don't. They keep going. They try to go and rescue the main party who was facing the bad guy. They dive out of the ship. They the other party left. gets trapped yeah. on the ship. They save Rocket. Where are you guys? We, we went to save you. And then they go back to the ship to break them out of prison. And then they're riding on the giant creatures out of nowhere, having already done the prison break and all this mm-hmm. crazy adventure. Like, that's that's a D and D game, that whole th- very much is third so. act basically. Even some of the dialogue where it's like, "It will kill everybody." We're not killing everybody. Kill one person, one stupid person. What is wrong with you? Now you're just making it sad. Yeah. The um, I did love yeah, that sequence movie. when they. I wish I was in a better mood coming out of it, <laughs> but it's a very good movie. When they all got together at the end for uh, "No Sleep Till Brooklyn," like that was a pretty kick-ass team Mm -hmm. moment before their hallway fight somebody watch daredevil okay it's enough out of you uh but yeah i was like i was hoping for that when they're the whole team up fight in that hallway i was like oh please be a one shot and then it was i was like yay well one shot we know it's not an actual one shot but no very well very well choreographed fight and just the whole scene in general I thought the action in this movie was surprisingly very good. It was solid. I was a little worried at the st- uh, I was a little worried at the start with Adam Warlock stuff where it was a little jump cutty at some parts, but it was all it was pretty solid. It's not the like movie. there weren't a ton of sequences I can claim as super memorable or anything like that, mm. but also the fights were well choreographed and edited. I could tell what was happening. The visual effects didn't distract me they actually looked really good for the most part it was it was better than competent it was above average for sure not spectacular but above average and that's like like in terms of marvel movies that may as well be a master class because they handle actions so poorly so much of the time usually it just looks like cgi thing like cgi creatures beating on each other or fake characters on a green screen Usually, Marvel action is just okay. Now we're at this part of the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can tell there's definite 
uh, passion put in through the action, even with some of the smaller action scenes where the high evolutionary is just throwing rocket around. There's like yes. just the push and pulls and all that. And then when they're beating him up, like a few moments later, it's just having the team come together once again after everything they've been through is just really cool to see. I was very impressed in general with the visuals in this movie. The um, A lot of the places they went to clearly looked like practical sets to me, which was surprising. Yes. Um, I think nowhere also, is a practical set. Yeah, and I think the High Evolutionary's office was as well, or multiple places yes. with him. So, like, those practical sets look fantastic. So did the... Um, uh, the prosthetics and makeup as well. Those look practical as well, especially on Counter Earth with some of the aliens. Mm-hmm. They were like that. Looked like prosthetics to me. I'm like, hey, wow, that's really cool to see in a in a space movie. That's been a while. Like actual prosthetics, maybe in the Mandalorian, but in Marvel, that's weird. Um, and also we finally got comics accurate costumes for the Guardians. That's that's true. So like costume Where's design. His mask, though? Oh yeah, Where's he didn't his wear mask? his mask at all. You're right. He didn't wear his mask at all. It's not he even like a, like it never got destroyed. And he didn't use his rocket boots either. No, that would have come in handy a few times. It was very confusing. But anyway, I just that's, thought that's it was... the other like small gripe I have. It was like he's just he forgot his entire just identity. <laughs> yeah, he did forget a few things. But anyway, my point was this is a pretty visually stunning movie between sets, CGI, prosthetics, costuming. It's just a really well-crafted technique. Like, we talked a lot about the story, but in terms of, uh, you know, the other elements that go into making a movie, this was very well handled. I think I'd appreciate mm-hmm. this as if, if I wasn't going into it because it's a franchise. I think I'd just appreciate this as a cool sci-fi movie in its own right. That's just kind of having a cool adventure with a bunch of misfit space people basically doing the D&D movie in space. Yeah. I think it's a very good movie. I think it should definitely be studied on by for, uh, future people of how to handle a team-up movie, especially when you have so many characters and they have all di- these different types of backstory. And yes, it does help having an established universe behind them, but if you walked into this movie not knowing anything, I think you could follow along pretty well. Yeah, it's pretty... It feels like you're jumping right into a pre-established world, but you're not missing anything that much, because all the character dynamics are pretty well shown and explained. You get what's happening, mm-hmm. I think. You might not care as much about it as someone <laughs> like us do, who you know been watching them for nine years in all kinds of adventures, but I think you could enjoy this. Just as a cool movie. Um, yeah. So uh, I thought the themes in this movie were kind of interesting. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around them. Because I, I feel like it's deeper than I actively realize at the moment. But uh, I, there's a lot of stuff in here about... Uh, I think the main idea that I can gather is you can't shape the world or people. Trying right. to manipulate people to be who you want to be like Peter was with Gamora or the the uh the high evolutionary was with basically every species he ever made trying to make the perfect thing like nature and people and like our cultures and everything kind of just 
exists in a certain way. And if you try to screw with the balance too much, then you're out of line. Don't be that one guy trying to change way right. too much to see. Don't shape the world in your image. Just kind of take things how they are sometimes. Because there is an but order. I think it also just, it's also just uh, like self-acceptance ex- uh, as well. Especially yep. on Rocket where you don't have to be what they made you. You can just shave yourself on how you think you are as a person. True. I think that goes to show... I mean, look also what's happened with uh, Peter Quill, where he's lost the love of his life, but throughout this movie, he's learned to accept that she doesn't want him anymore, and he's going back to uh, who he is, but as a more mature person. Okay, so, so, maybe, so maybe the idea is somewhere in the middle there. It's don't try to change the world to fit your narrative of it. Realize who you are and your place within it, and shape yourself within that mold you, you can change yourself don't try to change everything else basically yeah i think sure there's a better way to say that but yeah <laughs> yeah I, but I you know, know what you're you know, trying to say you know what i mean sorry yeah. it's it's very late and i'm doesn't not roll off the, the tongue <laughs> not in the best mind for uh poignant phrasing but as long as you get what i mean um it's like that what's that one quote or it's a, uh, actually might be, oh yeah, it's the Logan quote, don't be what they made you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make yourself not, don't be what they made you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so weird fact that I saw here, apparently Sean Gunn voiced in mocapped rocket for a, a lot of the movie. I know he, yeah, he mocapped a lot of it. Yeah. He did that for most of them. Yeah, for hmm. Guardians 1 as well. For Rocket? I didn't realize. Yeah. There's a hilarious picture of Dave Bautista petting Sean Gunn's head in the mocap suit. That's funny. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I heard that he did the, uh, the voice for Little Rocket as well. Pro- I wonder if they did that or if they took Bradley Cooper's audio and just pitched it. But that's cool. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, let's see, let's see. Uh... I I have to criticize the uh the needle drops just a a little bit. If not cuz the songs were bad, but just they weren't as immediately memorable to me as other soundtracks. Yeah, I felt that too. But I also thought, you know, the second one especially really stood out to me and I listen to that soundtrack all the time. I freaking love it. So but maybe what maybe once I get uh, a copy of this soundtrack and start listening to it over and over, it'll, you know, it'll stick with me a little bit more because I think mm-hmm. the music was good. I liked how all the music in this one was more diegetic than in other installments. The characters were listening to it, like basically every song was actually heard by the characters, which was yeah. Most of the other movies weren't really doing that, so that's kind of cool. So they did all have emotional resonance within the movie. And I feel like if I saw the movie again, listen to the soundtrack a lot more, I'd appreciate what Gunn was going for here. They just didn't stand out mm-hmm. immediately, which is fine. I just don't think I recognized a lot of them. I think that was the problem for me. So I wasn't really, it yeah. didn't hit me as hard as the other two movies. I think for me, the problem wasn't not recognizing it. It was the different, um, Guardians 1 and 2 were very much deep cut. 70s rockets that not a lot of people necessarily 
knew, or maybe I just didn't. But this one, because they got that, uh, the Zoom, like you said, they were playing music from like 80s, 90s, 2000s as well, and a little mm-hmm. bit of 70s too. And I don't know, that just, it doesn't gel with me. 90s and 2000s specifically, I can take it or leave it. Like, yeah, some of it's okay, but like 70s rock is my thing. That's why the first two soundtracks are really good for me. So, Oh, yeah, they're some of the best soundtracks in general for Mar- yeah. the Marvel movies. I just think that was my problem. They're just playing a lot of music that's not my era, so... Right. That, that didn't help me, because the sounds in those different eras just don't gel with me as much. Mm-hmm. But the music did fit the story as well. That's what oh, James yeah, Gunn is famous for, and what he's, what he's really good at is using the music to tell what's happening during the scene or help elevate the story. He's always been fantastic with how uh, music is used. Mm-hmm. Let's see, another thing I liked here is that this movie had a lot of stakes right from the beginning. It's very, the plot is super focused in that, okay, Rocket got hurt. This movie is, how do we save Rocket? That's the, mm-hmm. that's just the driving force. And the high evolutionary is, oh, uh, Rocket's alive. I want to get Rocket and experiment on him some more. And every and the sovereigns are like, oh well, to impress the high evolutionary, we got to get Rocket too. So everybody's just after Rocket for one reason or another. It's very okay. This is what ha- this is the inciting incident. Rocket got hurt, and now everybody wants a piece of him for different reasons. And how do they compete with each other? Like it's a very great script in that way because there's just a there's one driving narrative everybody's got their motivations for it and they're just tripping over obstacles in each other to get to it it's it's screenwriting 101 but done very well and competently Mm-mm. um and i also like how they had the ticking clock on it too it has to be done within 48 hours or rocket's dead and nobody wins so yeah and even then they he actually he almost doesn't make it too I thought they were going to kill him at that moment. They had me. I'm surprised for... no Guardians died whatsoever. That was also shocking. I'm really shocked by that. Everybody made it. Pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Especially I... Dave Batista. Yeah. That was surprising to me. Yeah, if only because he's been so vocal about quitting. Mm-hmm. But no, they're just like, no, he's going to stay here and take care of this army of children. I'm like, okay. We'll see yeah. you when he gets paid like $13 million to show up in a scene. I think Disney has that money. For him, it's the principle. He's angry because of how they treated James Gunn. They thought oh, they could sure. just... He was very loyal to Gunn, and then they just tossed him to the curb for something really stupid. And Batista did not have that. Everybody else was more right. like, okay, well, you know, we're not condoning this, but we'll take the paycheck still. But Batista mm-hmm. was like, you know what? I'm on contract for one more movie, so I'll I'll do what I'm obligated to do. But after that, I'm I'm siding with Gunn. I'm out as well. So I'd be shocked if he didn't see Batista show up in a DC movie at some point. I don't. I think he's done with Marvel. Hundred percent. He's jumping ship to the uh, to the competition now. So yeah, that's my prediction. I bet you though he'll show up in the in like an Avengers movie though. I bet you he will. Just like even for a scene or two. Not a prominent role, but... I think it's going to be a long time before we see him back again. He'll come back one day. I'm not saying the next one. I'm just saying he will come back. That's what I'm saying. 
one day, maybe like yeah. 10 years from now. Because because guess what? His character's still out there. If he never wanted to come back, he would have told James Gunn, hey, can you kill me off so I can never come back to this universe? Yeah. But he, there's this deep love and care for Drax. I mean, it helped give him his second wave in career, right? So. True. Very true. He will be back eventually because money talks. So this uh, this movie is, what I liked about it is that it's very confident in itself and it knows what it wants to be. It's not, once again, this isn't a studio film. This is just a Guardians movie, first and foremost. And it, I think what was surprising to me about that specifically was how leisurely paced it felt. It wasn't like, oh, this is the grand finale, so we've got to try to make everything as spectacular as possible and rush everything right to the end and try to give everyone the biggest, most badass moments possible. This felt more to me like, okay, this is a Guardian's adventure. It's got a sense of finality to it, but it feels like it's a very strongly uh, emotional adventure for this particular crew, but it's not the craziest adventure they've ever had. It may not be the craziest adventure they'll ever go on, but it's an important one they're having right now at a turning point in these people's lives. And that's all it and that's all it is. They're kind of just they're going through the motions, really. Uh but it's done in a way that makes it feel important at the same time. There's just this really interesting balance, once again, in how they presented it. It's not like rushing to the end, it's kind of leisurely, like, oh, this is just another adventure, you know what I mean? Do you kind of get that vibe? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I got that vibe completely. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't feel like this, because let's be honest, most of the, this cast is probably not done with this universe, so it did not feel like a giant spectacle of a finale. Of Like, okay, we're capping off the trilogy, or we're capping off these character arcs. It's like, nah, this shit's happening, and they're going to deal with it. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's about it for my main thoughts. Uh, unless you got any more to say, I I have a conclusion. No, just some rough ideas. I think, uh, for the ending, I think it was pretty freaking good movie. Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, must see for sure. So I, the way I was thinking about it, I think as I watched the credits roll by, and I don't know if you you stuck to the end, right? Yeah, because it's a Marvel movie. Of course you did. But as the credits are going, and you see all these photographs of all the other Guardians movies pass by, Mm -hmm. that's when it started clicking for me, and I realized that this is, I'm like, you know what, this is Marvel's best trilogy. And And I thought to myself some more, and like, you know what, I think this is one of the best trilogies I've ever seen in all of movies. And I know you were saying it's maybe, it's not necessarily... A trilogy in terms of this franchise. Yes, stuff happens in between and that's fine. But if you were to just watch Guardians 1, 2, and 3, they have a very clear through line for all the characters. The biggest gap is Infinity War Endgame, which they do cover with that exposition dump. You don't need to see it to be like, okay, these people lead crazy lives. Clearly something crazy happened in between movies that I didn't need to see. But if you're just watching this trilogy, I think it's a very satisfying story told over these nine years from Guardians 
1 through volume 3. And none of these movies are bad. In fact, in many ways, they got better over time. We just had a whole debate last week about whether Guardians 1 or 2 was better. I think you could easily throw volume 3 into the mix now. Because it might end up being my favorite one with a little more time to mull it over. I liked it that much. There's a lot in here I could... like. It left me so satisfied that it... It could be my favorite Guardians movie, but it also made me realize that the Guardians are my favorite Marvel sub-franchise as a whole. <laughs> None of these movies yeah. are bad. Every other Marvel franchise has at least one movie that screws it up. You know what I mean? Think of every, like, every single one. Every, like, even, like, I'm not going to give examples. You know. If you're a Marvel fan, you know. Like, every trilogy or quadrilogy has at least one stinker in there. Except Guardians. They're all good. Every single one. And it's like, it's the vision of James Gunn from start to end, or like directors didn't switch halfway through, actors stayed all the way to the end, it maintained its own tone, its own feeling. If in 20 years, when I'm, the MCU is dead and gone, and I'm going back to rewatch these old movies, I feel like I'm going to skip out on a lot of movies. But I will always say, you know what, I'm down for the Guardians trilogy. Because that was just a fun sci-fi space adventure about this band of misfits who went from ravagers to heroes, about how they matured and became a family over time, dealt with their own backstories and traumas, and you know came out the other side better people for it. It tells it, it it's its own thing. I don't need to watch the other Marvel movies to enjoy these. So it's a satisfying movie in its own right. It's a just a great experience, and it, it stuck the landing, and it just leaves me really nostalgic for the Guardians franchise as a whole. It just ma- it just solidified for me how much I love the Guardians, and uh, I'm very grateful for it for that. Hey, you stuck the landing! Well said. Congratulations. <laughs> it's easier than what people give it. But yeah, yeah, that's well said. I think this is probably one of the best Marvel trilogies out there. Probably the best, because it's just consistently good. It's got one vision, one man at the helm, and that's a lot better than having multiple cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. But yeah, I think I agree with everything you said. So now a little retrospective. I said up top that Guardians was my last best hope for the MCU. So now the Guardians is over. Where do I go from here? Well, for me, I think I am emotionally finished with this universe at this point. I am done. Uh, Even Daredevil, my favorite Marvel character, I don't even, I'm not even emotionally invested in Born Again. And like, you know what? Because I had the first three seasons. And I, I, my hopes for Born Again are at rock bottom. I don't even trust them to do it well. I'll watch it. You know, to be clear, I'm still watching Marvel going forward because, like I said, this is what I do. I review movies. They're a big franchise. I love them once. Maybe I could love them again. And, you know, every so often there'll be a diamond in the rough, right? I'll be pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. But in terms of anticipation, in terms of characters I care about, There's basically nobody left. The Guardians were it. 
everybody I like has either been killed off or character assassinated or just isn't in a place I want to see going forward. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just done. Guardians tapped out. Yeah. This is the last draw for me. You know, Guardians is a, like, this is the end of my MCU is the the way I see it. From 2008, Mm -hmm. when I was 10 years old to now, I've had a, a long relationship with Marvel and this is the last one I care about. So, if you know, this whatever. phase fails, if this and it's on the path, but this multiverse saga, if it shits the bed so hard, how much, lo- how long do you think it will be until they do a complete reset? Oh, well, I feel like if they want the franchise to keep making money, it won't be more than a few years from when they're really desperate, right? And I think the box office is showing pretty hard, like Quantumania bombed pretty bad for Marvel standards mm-hmm. anyway. And I don't think the Marvels is going to do well either. They're, but they're just going to blame the it's fans the on most, that. I think it's got like the, it's got like the most dislikes on a YouTube trailer apparent or a Marvel YouTube trailer. But I bet you they're just going to blame the fans on that one. They're just going to say we're a bunch of misogynists, so uh, the movie bombing wasn't our fault. It's society's fault. That's how they're going to handle that one. And they'll be in denial for a little while. Um, Don't worry, Kathleen Kennedy's not ahead of Marvel. Yet. (laughs) Yeah, but it's just the vibe. You know, but the thing is, these executives, whoever's writing this, you know, they'll, they'll be that way until the money starts drying up. And then the people who actually put up money, who don't care about social politics, are like, okay, you got a course correct. I don't care. I don't care what you think is right or wrong here. Make me something that makes money. And people don't want to see what you're doing, right. obviously. Whether you think it's right or wrong, whether it's objectively right or wrong, give me something that makes money now. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be a reboot. Maybe that'll be bring back Robert Downey Jr. at any cost. <laughs> I don't know. Get the original six back. I think the problem is, I mean, just to have like a little tangent on Captain Marvel movie, the first one, and why I think people hate it so much is because I think it tried to be way too political. I think it tried to, I don't know, I I can't even remember like certain scenes, but maybe even with Carol Danvers' trainer. Where it's like you're literally nothing without me. You're hopeless. It's not, and they not at one point did they say because she's a girl, but they do allude to it a lot, where she is surrounded a lot by a lot of male-heavy figures, especially Nick Fury, Ben Mendelsohn's character. And she's the only... I mean, even some of the... Like, the the team, whatever it's called, there are some females on that team, but they get their asses handed to them pretty heavily, unless it's Carol Danvers. And I think the problem with that and why it's... It failed so much because the marking was very political as well, and so was the just the just the people who tried to defend it would did exactly what you said they blamed it on fans being most of them being misogynistic where and that is there to be clear it's not true it's just it's, there is there is plenty of like, that discourse going around it's just not as much as they absolutely. think it is is the thing but then you take a look at the movie like Wonder Woman. 
where there were some political elements in there, but it wasn't driven into the ground fully political. They just took this woman character who has the powers of a god and wrote an amazing story for her that showed off her prowess, showed off her powers, showed people what she was capable of without making fun of the audience that was watching it. And I think that's the main difference is when you try to alienate your fan base and you start to attack your fan base, then you're going to make them not want to see your movie just out of spite. And I think that's the problem a lot of executives fail at when they try to defend something is that we're not here to most of the fans. There are misogynistic fans out there and it's really sad. But most of the fans that come to see your movies, we want it to be good. We we have hopes for it all the time. And when we're given something that's very mediocre, we're just disappointed. And when you can't handle that criticism and then you attack us for, you know, calling us all these names, it's just really, it just shows people's true colors sometimes. It's just really sad to be a Marvel fan sometimes. Or just a movie yeah. fan in general. I think you said it well. When you're given something mediocre, you're disappointed. When you're given mediocre or worse for many, many years, don't blame us when we start falling off. Mm -hmm. You're the one who's giving us these products. You know, step it up. Yeah. Also, stop lying to your fans. Like, they're like, oh, phase four is the setup phase. Like, it's not true. You haven't set up anything at this point. Like, even Quantumania, you've barely set up something. Like, it's barely there. You're not setting up shit. And it's stretched way too thin. Everything they've... So they, thin. They put out so much content in the last couple of years, more than Phase 1 and 2 combined. And, you know, quality across the board has dropped because there's, there's... Like, I look at the VFX team specifically and how they have to do so much a year now. I don't even know how they got away with doing Guardians 3 so well. Somebody, like, they must have given that to a different team at a point to have it turn out so well. But they're, just, they're stretched, the writers and uh, VFX artists and crews are just, they're stretched way too thin at, that, at Marvel Studios to do anything really memorably anymore. They're all trying their best, don't get me wrong, but there's only so much oh, they sure. can do when they're doing so much a year. It's not like the days of phase one where you had, you didn't even have a movie every year for those first four years. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it was like... They did six movies in four years. <clears throat> yeah, it was Iron Man and then Incredible Hulk, Thor, Captain America, Avengers. Yeah. But yeah, not that much. No. Yeah. And the problem is when you stretch things out way too thin... And you have you have basically double the projects because you have all these TV shows. Is now the people who are ahead of these shows or movies they want to have their own message, or they want to tell their own stories. But you have this overbearing franchise and this overbearing universe that you have to establish or you have to keep establishing, and they conflict with each other all the time. So then you just kind of get most of the time this jumbled mess. And yeah. I can see where Marvel fans are falling off. I'm not overly excited for the Marvels. I'm not not excited either because I kind of I like Kamala Khan. I think she's a very good character. 
Mm. But it's just kind of, I just know it's going to be exactly what you said. It's going to be very heavily, the marketing's going to be super political. And anybody who says anything negative about her is going to be called sexist or racist or blah, blah, blah. Because that's just the world we live in now. Yep. Basically. sad. But yeah, just in terms of the MCU, I've just slipped into general apathy. I don't care anymore. Um, so when you hear reviews from me, I'm going in with a bit of a bias maybe. But, you know, don't expect me to hate every Marvel thing going forward. People, you probably thought that about me already. And like, I love this one. <laughs> you know, I'm, I've enjoyed stuff here and there. But, uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. But, uh, yeah, in terms of, like, caring, I'm done. <laughs> but uh, I'll always have the Guardians and the Infinity Saga. Yeah. And that's fine with me. I, I can be nostalgic about the stuff I've already got. I'm not, like, writing off everything Marvel's ever done. I'm just not excited about what's coming. So. Yeah, that's the real shame, because whenever they announced something for the Infinity Saga, you were excited to see it. Oh, yeah, 100%. But now when you just see some of the projects, you're like, okay. I also think part like of the problem... sounds like a cool idea. I also think part of the problem was the novelty of the Infinity Saga. In so many ways. It was right. like, oh, this is the first time superheroes are crossing over in a big way. The Avengers is like, oh, wow, the like years of planning culminated in something really cool. And then Phase 2 was like, what do you mean you're adapting super low tier characters like guardians of the galaxy or characters people don't even really care about that much outside of the comics like doctor strange and ant-man like whoa this is really cool and novel but now we've gotten to the point where yeah plenty of d-list characters have been adapted now it's just give me something good with them the fact that they're being mm -hmm. adapted at all isn't enough to get me around in the theaters anymore as a as a nerd like, yeah, you right. know what? There was a point where I showed up to support this stuff just because, wow, they're adapting Ant-Man. I know who he is, so I have to show up for that, to support mm -hmm. that. Because, hey, I'm glad this thing nobody knows about is being made. Because that, that could be good. And now it's just, okay, okay, now it's the mainstream. Now, now I can chill out. I, you have to sell me now, just like everybody else. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, done. That's going to be interesting what happens in the next few months. Because also, Secret Invasion, I think, comes out, what, June or July? No idea. Haven't so looked. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, trailer looked sure okay, though. Pretty soon. Yeah, it looked all right. I mean, I'm excited for Amelia Clark to be in it. She is a phenomenal actress. But she hasn't been in much since Game of Thrones. I mean, right. she's usually just been very busy with Game of Thrones, but then she's done a few. I mean, she did Terminator, but that was notoriously terrible. Her movie roles haven't and been very she's well done some, picked. She's done know. some rom-com stuff. Right. Apparently she's done. Apparently people love the rom-com movies, but it's not my forte. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they're, they're big good. for a certain demographic. I'm not in it, mm -hmm. but... I mean, I love a good rom-com here yeah. and there. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not seeking them out. Mm -hmm. I would actually defend something saying there's like there's most of the time there's no bad rom-com because of just I think they all just hit the message that they want to hit 
I don't think I've ever seen an out most of them. I don't think I've ever seen an outright bad one. Usually I you know, there's yeah. romance, there's some comedy, made me chuckle a few times, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's entertainment. It's not usually offensively bad. Anyway. One and now positive. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume Three, two thumbs up, must see, fantastic, best Marvel movie in years. Love it. Mm-hmm. Best one since No Way Home. Definitely. That's. Which is just easy. kind of funny for easy. most. I'm just saying, that's just kind of funny for most franchises, though, because usually if you say, oh, best one since No Way Home, that's like, oh, two years in between. In between. That seems like a really good. Right. A good ratio. But and then we're not. like, wait, how much has Marvel released in that two years? Let's say best since No Way Home. Guardians of the Galaxy oh. 3 is great. Positivity. Well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us on audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Also, check out ThoughtPlay.ca slash BlueStar for uh, some information on our upcoming short film, A Blue Star Apart. Uh, hopefully coming to Film Fest this fall. So we hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where we offer you another installment of Leisure Lists, the segment where we talk about everything we watched, which didn't get a full episode. Till next time. See ya.